Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And let's uh, read from verses uh, 1, or I will be reading from verses 1 through verse 16. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1. And it says, And it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of a very costly perfume. And she poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they waited, and they weighed out to him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered in your name. Thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing upon it. May our meditations be according to your will for the edifying of your body, helping us to know you more and love you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a wonderful episode in the uh, life of our Lord Jesus as it is presented in the Gospel of Matthew. And I am sure that you have studied uh, from the book of Matthew and that you know that it is a gospel where the kingdom of God is greatly presented. Uh, we all know that the Sermon on the Mount um, is uh, that great sermon about God's kingdom. 
And Jesus is presenting himself as God's king. And we also know that uh, Matthew in his gospel doesn't necessarily present things in a strict chronological form, but he has thematic connections through what he writes. And what we're studying or what we have read here tonight is uh, following, as the beginning of the chapter said, it's following the things that he said. And that is referring back to what he said uh, in chapter 24, that uh, the things before the end, uh, also what he said in chapter 25, uh, different uh, teachings regarding the kingdom of God. And now this is presented, what we have just read. And our, um, our chapter started off with what will be in Matthew, the fourth major announcement of Christ to his disciples of his death. And as we study Matthew, these declarations that Christ gives his disciples of, of his upcoming death, and even to the point of describing what kind of death, death that will be, is greatly misunderstood by his disciples. They um, were struggling with different ideas that they had about how the Messiah's kingdom should be presented, how that would uh, fulfill Scripture, and um, and we and we know uh, that. Uh, that this did not take Jesus by surprise, of course. It had been prophesied that they would, uh, that the, the shepherd would be stricken and the, and the sheep would be scattered and that they would all be scandalized by him. But this is an announcement right in the week before the crucifixion itself. So it's the fourth and in, and in Matthew's, uh, Presenting this is the fourth and final major announcement of Christ of his upcoming death by crucifixion. Then, if you notice in verse 3, says the chief priest and the elders were gathered together. As Christ is preparing his disciples for his upcoming death, those who will kill him, are preparing for his death. They're plotting, they're planning. And of course we know that all things, as as, uh, Peter will preach in Acts chapter 2, will follow the determinate counsel of God, and all things will be fulfilled as God has planned, And yet we see at the same time the sinfulness and plotting of men who also, as Peter says, will crucify the Son of God with sinful hands. And that's what we see in these verses. 
that they are, they are planning and plotting to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But see what they say in verse 5. They were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Um, they weren't worried about uh, killing someone in the festival because of the festival itself or because of of defiling themselves for the Passover. They were worried about a riot. They knew that Pilate had put his hand on several riots in a very, very cruel way. And they did not want that to happen. So they said, not during the feast. Not during the feast. But they didn't know what verse 2. They didn't know what verse 2 says. You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Their plan was to not do it during the feast because it will cause a riot. But the sacrifice himself is announcing it's going to happen right in the middle of the feast. He will be the lamb, as John announced several years before. He will be that lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And we see the Lord announcing that. We see the uh, rulers, the elders of the people, the chief priest, um, uh, the, the, the religious side, the, the theological side, uh, those who, uh, basically it's the whole Sanhedrin who is in on this plotting and planning. They have figured out that they need to get rid of Jesus. As all this is going on, it says in verse 6, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, at the home of Simon the leper, the previous leper, but he had that name now, Simon the leper, Matthew the publican, They will retain their nicknames, even though they have come and have been touched by Christ. They will look from where they were taken and how Christ has changed them. So the house is Simon the leper's house. And they're having a meal there together. And we learn that there is a woman that comes to him with an alabaster vial, John will give us the name of this woman. In his gospel, he will say that it is Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who had been raised. And we also know that right after Lazarus was raised, John will tell us that this was the final straw and they would start plotting the death 
of Christ, according to John's gospel. So it's that event, and it is she is pouring this very costly perfume on his head. We learn that this perfume was a whole year's wage for a worker. 300 denarius, 300 days of work was the cost of this perfume. She poured it upon his head. We found out that also in the other Gospels that not only she put it on his head, she also pours it all over him and on his feet. And that the aroma of that perfume filled the house. It's a very, very expensive perfume. One of the descriptions says it was of spikenard or pure nard. Very, very costly perfume, the most expensive that this woman could buy. We also learn that this vial was broken. She's not saving any back. She's, she's pouring it all out, anointing the Lord. And the, and, the, and the smell fills the room. Everybody can smell it. Everybody can see it. And everybody knows who did it. But not everybody had the same reaction. Let's look at it. The disciples, verse 8, but the disciples were indignant. Again, John will provide the name of the main disciple who was indignant. And he will tell us that it was Judas Iscariot. He was the one who spearheaded this feeling against what was being done at that table at that night. He said, this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was always ministering to the poor, feeding them, healing them, forgiving them, resurrecting them. Each one of those cases are seen throughout the Gospels. But Jesus, aware of this in verse 10, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. And then this explanation. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it for what? To prepare me for burial. This perfume will go with Jesus according to his words 
to the tomb. We know all the events that led up to that. This very strong perfume, this very expensive perfume, this very criticized perfume, but this accepted and appreciated and almost, we could say, immortalized action by this woman with this perfume, by our Lord Jesus. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman, what this woman has done, shall also be spoken in memory of her. Twice in the scriptures, the Lord puts his seal of approval on giving. Publicly, he announces his approval. And this is one. And the other one was with the widow giving the two mites. But she had given more than everyone else according to him who matters. He said she's giving more than anyone because she gave all she had. This is a giving in the same attitude. It's a giving extravagantly. It's giving... This is a a man's year wages. Women in those days, unless they were merchants, would make much, much less. It was a great gift. And it was accepted by the Lord. And then in verse 14, we, we would like to just stay there and continue to look and smell the perfume and look at this wonderful gift of love and gratitude. But verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Evidently, this perfumed confirmation of Jesus' plan to give his life was what signaled him to go. We learn that he was stealing from the purse. And from the gospel record, we know that he gave himself to Satan and Satan to him, and he went out and betrayed the Lord. He went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing? We have a different kind of giving. What are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. Of course, this was fulfillment of prophecy. 
And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. And we know that betray him, he did. He did it during the feast when Christ had established that he was going to give his life as the Passover lamb, as uh, Paul will say later, Christ is our Passover. He is the one who covers us with his blood. The only thing that will cover us from the wrath of God as the blood of that lamb that night in the land of Egypt. It was only where that blood was applied that there was life in the house beneath that blood. In every house in Egypt where there was not that Passover blood applied, there was death in the person of the firstborn. The whole family died represented by the firstborn. But in the houses where there was life that night, there was life because the lamb had died in place of that firstborn and of that family. All of that presenting a wonderful picture of the redeeming blood of Christ who covers us as Brother Dean was saying, from the judgment and the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sins, bringing us into a justified state before God, bringing us into a living relationship with God and delivering us from our bondage into freedom. In these verses that we've seen, we really have a representation of everyone. And it's manifested by the different givings and takings. This woman gave this great gift. We know it was a sacrifice for her because of the way the Lord describes it. She knew Jesus. Whether or not she knew specifically that he was going to be crucified in a few days or not, we are not sure. But Christ declares that her perfume, her gift, is preparing him for his burial after the crucifixion that he has spoken of. She surely can see something that the disciples have not yet seen. Because in, in Matthew, it says that the disciples were complaining about the gift. Now, those of us who by the grace of God are here tonight, and we love the Lord Jesus, and by his grace, we've come to believe in him. And his spirit has given us a new heart. We love this deed. We're like, woman, we're so thankful you did that. You honored him before his exaltation. You honored him when he was telling everyone he was going to the cross. 
And here we are, fulfilling Christ's words even tonight, talking and remembering her gift. But later the disciples wouldn't understand. All of them would not only give all they had for Christ, they would give their lives. Paul would describe the life of the believer surrendered to God as a sweet fragrance to God and as a sweet fragrance to those that would be saved. But perfumes can have different effects. Some people will love a perfume, some will hate it. (laughs) Paul will say that we're also an aroma of death for those who do not believe, for those who do not love the Lord. The disciples would give their lives for the Lord. the highest price. And as we think of the history of the church of God, we think of those like Hudson Taylor saying goodbye to his mother, whom he knew he would never see again. We think of those Moravian missionaries packing up their things, not in their suitcases, but in their coffins. They knew they would die soon after they started their missionary work. And we see that this spirit, this heart represented by this woman is a reflection of her knowledge of Christ. She loved him. She had a gratitude to him. Maybe she was the one from whom the seven demons were, 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 were thrown out. Maybe she was healed. Or she had seen her brother walk out of that grave so she could hug him once again. And she knew who the resurrection and the life was. Christ said, The poor you will have with you always but you do not always have me. The message of the love of Christ is by far the greatest gift we can give anyone, especially the poor. The giving of this woman and the whole picture she paints for us is showing us a reflection of the love of Christ she had received. And it becomes the spirit of every child of God. And we now, and we now understand that it will cost 
It will cost. Our salvation is by grace. The debt is paid. Nothing can be added to the finished work of Christ. But to serve Christ, it will cost. But if we have seen the love of Christ, if we have seen the life of Christ, if we've heard his words saying that he loves us and has forgiven us and has told us to go and sin no more, and we've been unburdened by his grace from our sins, knowing that all our sins have been paid for on his cross. When he shows us something for us in his service and for his honor, we should break the vial. It might be criticized. Someone may say, "That's to, you're, you're getting a little fanatical with, with your faith. There was one man who understood this, and he decided that he was going to live on 10% and give 90% to the Lord. And God just used him to carry his work further and further. It may affect our wallets. It may affect our whole life. Some of you may think, I can't believe that one of our young ladies will go and stay for such a long time in Mexico. Or you may know someone who because of Christ, because of his love, is willing to lose their whole family. Because they're in a religious system that doesn't recognize Christ as the only way, the only door. And they do not recognize that his death, his work on the cross is sufficient to pay for all our sins. And there must be uh, penance. There must be sacraments. There must be church works. There must be other things that you do. And so because you have come to trust only in the grace of God, in the finished work of Calvary's cross, all of a sudden, your families are your enemies. That's a high cost. But whatever the Lord puts us before us to do, this woman is telling us it's worth it all. And when we do, like her example, our lives will truly impulse this gospel. Of course, we will not never be as well known as this lady. But those who do see it, and those who know that it's the love of Christ in us, 
will know that the gospel is not something only written in our Bibles, but is something that is changing our lives completely. And the gospel will continue to advance. And the kingdom of God will continue to advance. And the name of our Lord Jesus will become sweet and beautiful to many more people. And his love will continue to flow. Judas said, what will you give me? And the woman said, I wish I had more I could give you. And all this time, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's going to happen in just a couple of days. His crucifixion, his burial, and then his powerful resurrection from the grave. So how do we identify with these different parts of this scripture? Hopefully, we identify with the woman. By the grace of God. And may he give us that love to honor our Lord and Savior. And in honoring him, we will be a blessing to the poor. And we will be a blessing to others. And we will be looking for ways to share Christ in many, many, many different situations. But if it's going to extend the gospel, it has to be because it's motivated by a love to Christ because of his grace and a grateful heart, a loving heart. That's what God is going to use to keep his gospel going forth. So we pray that God will continue to do that. We have seen evidences of this, maybe we could call it extravagant love for Christ and many of you. May the Lord encourage us to continue to receive his grace that we may express it also. And may he receive glory. And may his gospel keep going forth. God bless you. Thanks for listening from Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can find church information and other helpful materials at thetruthpulpit.com. This message is copyrighted, all rights reserved.